And so, Heavenly Father, we want to appreciate you one more time this morning for the privilege to call upon your name. We recognize that your divine purpose and mandate for this hour is intact. You have never let go of mankind, and we are grateful for the privilege that we have to still be able to gather and call upon your name through these very difficult times in history. We just pray today, O oh God, that as we gather around your word, that you will speak to us, that you will order your word in our hearts and cause us, Lord God Almighty, to be strengthened even for the journey ahead. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Anyone here, Lord, under the sound of my voice today that is going through one situation or the other, even symptoms, even symptoms of things that may be making them worried and afraid about their health condition right now, the Bible says he sent his word and he delivered them and it he delivered them from, he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Father, I pray for healing. I pray for deliverance. And it shall be our portion in Jesus' name. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you, brethren. We want to appreciate God for such awesome privilege he's given to us to be able to come together today to just thank him in many ways and also to uh, commit our lives to him through his word. Uh, I count it a very great privilege to be bringing your word, your, uh, the God's word, your way today. And I believe that God will surely bless every one of us, even as we uh, listen through this message today in the mighty name of Jesus. I want to thank God that he's helping us to see the things that he's speaking to us from his word. And many of us, may not understand that at this season, there is a lot of pain. There is a lot of, you know, because um, at times we don't, we don't really relate to issues unless it really comes to our territory. But we thank God that he's protecting us and he has said no evil report will come near our dwelling place. But I want us to also be sensitive to the fact that there are lots and lots of people going through a lot of pain at this point in time. And uh, we can only pray that the Lord will continue to heal everyone, the Lord will continue to uh, comfort everyone, but above all, that God will through this walk in the hearts of men and draw them unto himself in the name of Jesus. We thank God for the beginning of a brand new series today, which is titled Restful Increase Through Our Vision Mandate. Restful Increase Through Our Vision Mandate. And I just want to appreciate God that um, he's given us that privilege. Um, we should have a banner. It hasn't been shown yet. But um, yeah, thank you. And um, that is the banner that uh, we will be using over the next four weeks. As you can see there, the red point points to the very first theme. And then we'll be highlighting them as we go through. Um, our, our banner is a bit wordy this time. But then everything on there is important. Um, by the grace of God. And as also because we are going into this series and on this special day which we mark the Palm Sunday, which marked the glorious entrance of our Lord Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem, like we read in the course of the uh, Bible non-responsive reading earlier on today from Matthew 21 from verse 1 to uh, right down to verse um, 11. And um, what God is saying to us in that place is to remember that when Jesus came in, he came in to terminate everything that was plaguing man. Ultimately, that journey into Jerusalem marked the beginning of the laying down of his life, which we will be celebrating powerfully next weekend, and also his resurrection from the grave. 
uh, which by the grace of God is going to be marked a week from today on Easter Sunday across the world. So we remember this week as a very important week in the body of Christ, very significant to us. And I just want to encourage us all that we continue to remember that what God has done is not a one-time event of coming into Jerusalem, but it is also about him himself being part of the one that continues to enter our life continuously. And uh, every time the word of God comes into a place, God's desire is that there be a change. And may God continue to help us. So please don't miss any meeting that we'll be having over the weekend. You'll hear a little bit more about that on Friday, Good Friday, and uh, on Easter Sunday. We'll be having some very wonderful times in God's presence, just looking at what Jesus came to do for us. But today, my, the title of my message is Embracing Purity for Restful Increase. Embracing Purity for Restful Increase. And that's the banner, as I said. And I want to encourage every one of us to truly be engaged uh, for this meeting today because God wants to start something with us. Uh, our vision mandate as a church, as you can see in the roll-up stand behind me, is uh, to raise with God and for God a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. Purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. And this is very important for us uh, because when God calls a people, he tells them what he's going to do. When God called Peter, he said, I will make you fishers of men. And uh, this is very significant. And that is why Peter, right through to the time he left this earth, he became a very mighty fisher of men to the point whereby he prayed and preached one day and 3,000 people got saved. That was how, how expert, in quote, he became at doing that same mandate of becoming a fisher of men. So every time God calls a people, we call it the ecclesia, the called out ones, God always gives them a mandate to fulfill, which is part of the global mandate to reach the world, which is just basically the great commission that is given to every Christian, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. So we're part of that global movement, but at the same time, we are a movement within that movement that is raised by God to raise with him and for him a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. And God gave us this particular mandate just from an understanding of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says, but when he called out, uh, when, but you, the Bible says, he said, but you, thank you, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when I was meditating on these things, looking into what God was speaking to me around about seven years ago plus now, um, this verse came alive in a different way. And God made me to see that the we there are the pure, those who are holy, those who have been called out, those who have been sanctified. So he said we should continue to raise with him a people of purity, a people who are called out. Not a people who are just uh, uh, on the fringes, not a people who are in religion, but a people who are truly called out and separated unto God. So that is why we are raising with him and for him, with him by evangelism, for him by discipleship. And this is why we emphasize a lot on building up the total man on a weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis as a mission mandate. And uh, he said they shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And that is where the word of power is, that everyone who is called by the power, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit should walk in a dimension of power that should help them to advance the cause of that calling. And uh, we'll be looking at the other three uh, 
uh, aspects in the course of the week, so I wouldn't talk too much about them now. But today, as we look at the persons of purity that we are called to be, God will help us to understand this very, very important bedrock of our vision uh, mandate. And then he said that they shall be witnesses unto me. And the Lord made me to see how the, each person as a witness is fulfilling purpose. As a person who practices in different areas, as people who practice in different areas of life, we are fulfilling purpose by being witnesses in those areas of life. We are fulfilling witness, uh, 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 purpose by being witnesses in our families. We are fulfilling purpose by being witnesses everywhere we are. We are not witnesses in the church. When we gather together, we are empowered, encouraged, like we're doing now, to go out or to network with people and be witnesses of this great king. And so he said, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's where the word of prosperity comes. That the Bible says in Zechariah 1.17 that my city's true prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. Because it is God's intention that he empowers his people and gives them a purpose, each person fulfilling purpose, and then they walk in the prosperity that God gives. And we know in this church that prosperity is not just about money. Prosperity is about the total man. God is able to make all grace abound towards us so that in all things at all times, having more than we need, we will abound unto every good work. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. So we are very, very strategically positioned. And so I want to encourage us over the next four weeks, this week and the next three weeks, we'll be looking very intently at these things. When we talk about purity, we're talking about something that has lacked contamination, something that is devoid of contamination. So purity is just basically defined as that. I like the definition Heath Lambert gave to it. He said, purity is the quality of being faultless, uncompromised, and unadulterated. Fault, faultless, uncompromised, and unadulterated. And when you look at the, the reason I like that definition is the fact that when you look at that, it is impossible for any human being to be pure because no human being can be faultless. It is impossible. No human being can be unadulterated because there will be one thing or the other that would not make their life stand up in the day of testing. But there is a way for those who have been called and named by the name of the Lord to understand that our purity stems from our connection to the most holy God through his son, Jesus Christ. So a life of purity for a believer is not one that is devoid of sin, per se, but one that continually lives, not controlled by sin, but by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, as many that he called, he gave them power to become the sons of God. And the Bible says that as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God, not as many that are led by sin. Before a person gets born again, they are led by sin. They follow the dictates of sin. They do what sin says they should do, and they have no control over it. It takes communion to Jesus Christ to continue to now have victory and mastery over sin. Not that sin still does not want to dictate, not that sin still does not want to tempt, but we who are saved and are being saved are empowered from within to be able to say no and denying all ungodliness, just like the Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. So we all know that when God created the heavens and the earth, it was pure, it was perfect. 
God's intention was to have a world that was sin-free, completely sin-free. But we also know that sin came into the world. And uh, I can't bore you with the book of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But you, you know very well that everything was good, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, all through. Right through to the man was God uh, created man. Everything was good. But when sin came in, in Genesis chapter 3, it, everything became polluted and perverted. And this is the work of sin today. That everyone who is now born into this world is born perverted already in the natural world. And it takes the sacrifice of the son of Jesus Christ, identifying with it for anyone to truly be delivered. When the first man sinned, God slaughtered an animal and used that animal skin to cover the nakedness of man. Just as a symbol of the slaughtering of his son, the crucifixion of his son that was going to come and to be shed, whose blood was to be shed for our, the remission of our sins and the atonement of our sins and also for the covering of our nakedness in righteousness. So when man became polluted, every man became foolish. Psalm 14 verse 1, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They are corrupt. The natural man is corrupt. No matter the level of morality, the natural man without the, without the confession, acceptance and confession of the sacrifice of the shed blood of Jesus Christ is corrupt. He said they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. None. No matter who they are. No matter what they do. No matter how well they behave and how well they present. I have met many people who say to me, but Pastor Dave, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do bad things as far as I'm concerned. I'm morally upright. As good as that may be in the eyes of the world and as a good standard as it were or a, a, a desirable standard of life, it has no value in terms of the purity that God is expecting of man. Purity in the eyes of God, or the word holiness is the same thing as purity, in the eyes of God stems out of man coming to God as a sinner, understanding that they are sinners, and then accepting the gift of his son Jesus Christ as the only sacrifice that is worthy in making them to become righteous. And so we must understand that impurity, God does not want us to remain in impurity and those of us who have been called into the body of Christ and who have been given a newness of life must understand that God expects us to walk no longer in sin but also to stand with him and with his son in the purity of life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 to verse 7 is what I would like to read just now. The Bible says, therefore, put to death members which are on the earth. Your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It says, put them to death. They are on the earth. You and I have a duty to keep putting them to death. You say, but Pastor Dave, I'm a new man. Yes, you are. I am. But he said that there are members that are on this earth. He said, you must put them to death. You must put them to death. That's why Paul said, I die daily. 
We have been buried with him in baptism. We have died with him in baptism. We have been raised into the newness of life. Please go to verse 6. We have been raised in the newness of life, but we must understand that whilst we, these things are there, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. He said, in which you yourselves once walked. You yourself once walked when you lived in them. You once walked. He says, so you must put them to death. And every one of us must understand that the past life, even though we are in the newness of life, the old man is one that we will continue to contend with. There is a shadow of the old man that is empowered by the devil constantly to continue to make us derail. It no longer has power over us, but we must walk in the knowledge of the newness of life in order to have power over it. It prowls on the ignorance of mankind, and particularly those who are redeemed. So we know very well that Jesus Christ has come to redeem us. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer to it? We are dead to sin. We should no longer live to it. And verse 2 says, certainly not. We, how shall we who died live any longer to it? And then verse 3, he said, or do you not know that as many of us were, look at this, baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. His death. His death is the ultimate death. And it takes our continual connection to his death to keep putting to death our members on the earth. Many believers are baptized with Christ, but the baptism into his death is what we don't understand. When we say things like we're talking like the old man, it means that we don't understand that we are baptized into his death. When we say things like, oh, they don't know me, if only they knew who I was or who I am. That means, and, and that thing is not positive, then that means that that person has not yet put to death that member on earth, that arrogance, that pride, that fornication, that evil desire. That member has not, that person has not put that member on earth to death according to the death of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. The Bible says in verse 4, for you... Therefore, thank you, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. We should put to death all our members and walk in the newness of life. Now, this is what we need to understand, that we cannot be pure enough on our own. We can't do this by ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, there is none righteous for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, everyone cannot in themselves walk this walk of holiness and this walk of purity. But we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And this is important. This is where it makes the whole difference. The Bible says God took him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Now, we need to understand these things because as believers today, for example, in the context of the pandemonia and the pandemic that is going on today, we, a lot of us are claiming promises of scripture. Many people are claiming promises of scripture. Many people are claiming Psalm 91. Many people are claiming Psalm 23. Many people are claiming from Isaiah, so on and so forth. Now, it is fine. But have we, in totality, in reality, been buried with him in death? and raised into the newness of life and therefore have access to those in, in promises, this is the check. Every one of us must understand that these are promises that are exclusively preserved for those that name the name of the Lord. This is why what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is not what we have been calling it in modern times. Christianity is not an association of people that like each other or look like one another and like to gather and sing in a certain way or, you know, listen to a certain kind of message. Those things are not Christianity. Christianity is about dying to self. Christianity is about understanding of being buried into his death. Holiness is not about how we dress and how we present and how we talk and how we carry ourselves with some kind of aura that looks holy. Holiness is none of those things. Holiness is a walk of perfection with the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The one whom we died with in baptism and the one who we were buried with in baptism and we are raised into newness of life. The Bible says, therefore, we must keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How many of us are enduring crosses today? He despised the shame. How many of us have laid down ourselves and have made ourselves of no reputation? How many of us are still very, very irked when people talk evil of us? When they called the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith, Beelzebub, Beelzebub, the prince of devils, and he did not answer them a word. How many of us? How many of us? These are the things that make us understand what purity is, what holiness is. Every one of us must understand that as a people who are now the righteousness of God, righteousness is our new life. Righteousness is our new life, but holiness is our new lifestyle. There is a life we have in Christ, and there is a lifestyle, a way of living that life. This is why many people get confused. You are righteous because you got saved, but you have to be holy. You have to walk a lifestyle that matches holiness. This is why the Bible did not say that we are the holiness of God in Christ. We are not the holiness of God in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That is who we are. But the lifestyle that we must live is the lifestyle of purity, the lifestyle of holiness, which we must conscientiously live. God hates wickedness. But he blesses the righteous. The Bible tells us in Psalm 5, where we read earlier on, those of you that are joining, that joined later on in the service, we read in a Bible responsive reading today, Psalm 5 from verse 1 right down to verse 12. But I'll pick a few verses from there. Verse 4 says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Verse 5. He said, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. That is the proud, the arrogant. Can't we see how proud and arrogant our generation has become? Even believers. There are believers who cannot submit to pastors anymore. They can't submit to leadership anymore. And they are believers. There are believers who are disrespectful to parents. They disregard parents. No regard for authority anywhere. In the workplace, they are unruly. And they are believers. 
They are boastful. A generation that is full of arrogance. I put something on my Facebook yesterday that how did this generation become so arrogant? I'm not using these exact words, but something like that. Somebody brought up a few things about 5G a few days ago. This a part of the conspiracy theories of all that's been happening now. And, and, and suddenly, everybody became an expert. Everybody, everywhere you... Even, even people who you are not even sure whether they, they, they ever went to any school. <laughs> everybody started talking high-level high, high language telecom. And I said, this is madness of the highest order. This is the arrogance of our generation. Now, I'm not for any of those theories or not. I'm only saying that this is how much things have degenerated. That people say things. People, people who have never been married will be advising people who are married. What arrogance. People who have never had the opportunity of raising children will be pointing fingers at those who have raised children and are seeing children through to marriage and having grandchildren. They will be trying to advise them. What arrogance. What do you know? What do you know? We have a world now that has to go on her knees, especially those of us that name the name of the Lord. Because God says the boastful shall not stand in his sight. James chapter 4, he says that he resists the proud. Pride has no place with God. And this is one area that affects the purity of the believer generation that we have, that we have to keep dying to and killing off. Every one of us, Pride is so subtle, it never tells itself it wants to be there. As you go up in life, that is how pride goes up with you. You knock it down every day. You get a new breakthrough, it, goes, it, it meets you there at that level. <laughs> That's how he is. It's a subtle element. Why? Because that is the, that is the spirit that God the devil cast out of the, 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 the sight of God. So everything is attempting. It's as many that has been righteous, as many that would have end up, ended up with Christ in, on, the, on the ultimate judgment day and at the end of their race, he tries to use pride to also disconnect them. And so let us all be very careful to make sure that we are dealing with these things. And of course, every other sin is equally. The Bible says, you hate all workers of iniquity. A lustful generation, a generation that sees it and just wants to grab it. A generation that is covetous, a generation that is flirtatious, a generation that is full of revelry, a generation that is full of all kinds of evil concupiscence, as the Bible calls them. Things that have to do with just devising evil consistently, thinking of bad things all the time. May God continue to help us as a people. Now, the Bible says to him that, that thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. This is why we need to say these things. Because some of you may say, oh, but Pastor Dave, I've heard these things for years. I have been a Christian and I know these things. I heard these things and, and that's fine. But I need we, any church now that is not reminding the people to stay holy, to stay pure, is not doing well. Because every sign around us tells us much more that more than ever before we are closer to the end. I know I've heard this for about 50 years of my life now, that Jesus is coming soon, he's coming soon. But I know more than ever before that we are closer now. Everything is gearing up for the coming of the Lord so that the Antichrist can now rule and torture people. You and I will not miss the rapture of the saints. Everything we do, we must make sure on a daily basis we wake up and deal with our lives in such a way that we are waiting for the coming of the Lord. There were 10 virgins in Matthew chapter 25. The Bible says five were wise, five were foolish. The wise one had oil in their lamps and they had extra oil and they were waiting for the bridegroom. They were praying. 
they had the Holy Spirit. They, they took correction. The other ones were careless. They, they, they had their lamps, but no extra oil. Their oils finished. There was nothing to replenish it. By the time they were to go to the bridegroom, there was no light for them. And the Bible says they were foolish. That means they disregarded the instructions of God. We must not be a people who will be foolish at the end of the day. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, at that time, some people will come and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I know you not. He hates, look at that verse we just read. He hates all workers. Please put it back. You hate all workers of iniquity. And verse 6 says, you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. We can't go into every one of these things. But that's another thing that has become so prevalent in our times. People just lie. People just lie. People don't even think before lying anymore. And it's a spirit that has subtly crept into the church. Even pastors lying on altar, giving testimonies that did not exist. Yeah, oh, when I went to Morocco, when I went to Brazil, when I went to this, people were dying and rising up. <laughs> ah, God help us. And people just lie. People lie to their spouses. People lie to their children. People lie to their parents and just think it's okay. He shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Bible says liars shall go into the lake of fire, Revelation 21, verse 8. Adulterers, unbelievers, liars is one of those. He said there is reserved for them a lake of fire. Friends, don't let anybody deceive you that once you are saved, you are forever saved and you can live your life anyhow. The truth is you are forever saved, but you are not permitted to live your life anyhow. And forever saved does not mean that you are going to make yourself qualified for heaven if you live anyhow. Because the Bible says any one of these things is going to disqualify anybody. You will see saved people who will miss it. You and I will not be among them. So let us be very careful. This is not about living legalistic, but this is living seriously as commanded by God. God hates wickedness, but he blesses the righteous. He said, but as for me, I want that to be your portion as well. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. But as for me, I will come into your house, in the multitude of your mercy, in fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. As for me, it is a decision I have to make. You have to make it as well. There is an evil suggestion now that is saying to people that after all, this pandemic has shown that we don't need churches anymore. We don't need fellowship. People can meet in their homes. And you know very well, those of you that uh, have been fellowshipping regularly in this church, you know very well I, I like technology. I know tech. We've been using Zoom for two years for our midweek services. I believe in, in virtual uh, space and those kind of things that can help us, especially with our busyness of today. I believe in those things, but nothing will take the place of coming together. I know technology now that very soon, you see, when we are doing what we are doing now, these things have existed for many years. There are technology, there was a building I designed in Coventry in the year 2009, it was commissioned in Coventry here. And uh, that building is called the Simulation Center. It's still there, I was the structural designer. And one of the things that that building was meant to do is to help us work on construction sites virtually across the world. So you can have an architect in France, you have an engineer here in the country, you have the M&E people who are in Australia and so on and so forth. And everybody will come together and use not just virtual reality, but what was called, what is called augmented reality. And we will all be present on the same site and virtually touch all the objects on a model, physical model. The building is there right now. And I know that a time is going to come that it will be possible to use such technology even for meetings for the body of Christ. 
I know I'm sounding funny now, but this is the reality. But you know what? The, the, the issue of the technology is not the issue. The key thing there is a determination to make sure that we are part of his house. We are part of those who are in the multitude of his mercy. Any theology that tells you you have God in you and you can be by yourself is from the pit of hell. It has not come from God. However, we meet, whether we meet in cyberspace or we meet in physical space, we must meet. He said, never forsake the assembling together of one another, Hebrews 10, 25. Nothing is going to change that till Jesus comes. So it doesn't matter how we meet. It doesn't matter. I know that there's advantage in physical meeting whereby we, we, we can have handshakes, we can, we can see each other physically. There's big advantage in those. That is unparalleled. But you know what? The heart is what is important. The heart, the knitted together of the hearts is what is most important. He said, in fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Let every one of us understand that this is the will of God. Verse 8 says, lead me. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Who are your enemies? Not those things that you are thinking. Not that person you are thinking. He's talking about demons, physical, spiritual demons that you cannot see. They, I was listening to Mr. Matt Hancock, the health secretary, two days ago and yesterday. He said, we have an invisible enemy. People have been calling COVID-19 the virus, the, the invisible enemy. And I said to myself, well, if we have an invisible enemy, thank God for all the physical things we are trying to solve him, and God will give us more wisdom and help produce these vaccines and all that. But you know something? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, that we have a king who is immortal, a king who is invisible. He's the only wise God. That's the one we need. <laughs> if you have an invisible enemy, Brother Matt, you need, <laughs> you need the invisible God. <laughs> it's simple. If you can't see your enemy and you can't see God, but they know how they see themselves, you better call on the God you know. That is exactly what we need in our world right now. The invisible God, the immortal God, the only wise God, the one to whom all glory and honor will be forever. The Bible says we should... We should pray to him. Lead me in your righteousness because I have these enemies. How our world needs to go on our knees today and pray and stop discussing all these nonsense conspiracy theories and just say, Lord Jesus, have mercy. God, have mercy. For the blood of your son, have mercy. Have mercy. This, this onslaught of wickedness is beyond us. It's beyond our capacity. We put 4,000 bed uh, 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 hospitals at a go with our expertise. Thank God for that. It's brilliant attempts, but that has nothing to do with us going before God and saying, Lord, in Italy, sad, sad, there is no space to bury people anymore as I speak. They're considering mass graves. They are withdrawing things from people who don't seem to have hope. Things that we've not heard in years, especially in our generation. They are withdrawing support, the, 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 the uh, um, ventilation machine from those who are, are showing no sign of improvement and just letting them die off. In our world today, in 2020, with all our sophistication, and then we wouldn't call to this God of righteousness and say, Lord, let make us, baptize us with your righteousness, forgive us of our iniquity, starting from the church. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the first place he went to to clean out was the temple. The temple. Anywhere they call his name, he's looking to clean those people out. If the church does not get transformed after this pandemonium, as I call it, because it is, it, it, it is pandemic, but it is really causing a lot of pandemonium. 
If the church does not get cleansed after this, there is almost no hope for this generation. The church must be cleansed. We need messages like this more every week, every month, reminding us, all this God will give you car, God will give you house, God will give you this. It's good, but it's not it. Where is that taking anybody to? We need things that will stir up our faith, helping us to understand that even if God blesses us with things, it is about saving souls and going to his righteousness. Verse 12, he said, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. This is one scripture many people pray. Oh, the Lord will surround me with favor as with a shield. God wants to surround the righteous, those that name the name of the Lord. That is his promise. I'll just quickly tell us before we close this today. Three areas we must continue to make sure in order for us to enjoy restful increase. Purity must work in us in three areas of our lives. One is our thought life. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We know the Bible says in verse 3, for the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5 says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God wants us to bring every thought into captivity. Our thought life is very important. The way we think, we talk about positive thinking. That's not the end of it. It was stolen from the real way of thinking. It should be purity thinking. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, whatever things are noble, whatever things are of a good report, think on these things. What the devil wants you and I to be thinking now is fear, is anxiety, is worry. And we must understand that those things make us impure. Because they make us, the more we think about those things, the more we undermine the integrity of God and the more we insult his wisdom. We must not allow those thoughts to stay in our hearts. He said, do not worry, Matthew eleven twenty five. He said, do not worry. Do not worry. So if I worry, I'm sinning. Do I believe him as a child of God? He said, do not worry. He said, do not be anxious for anything. So I must not be anxious. You must not be anxious. These are thoughts that we don't think about, that we think it's okay. But the reality is that the more we think that way, the more we minimize what Jesus did when he said it is finished in John 19.30. Our thoughts must be sanctified, always thinking in line with the word of God. Number two, our words. Our words. Ephesians 4.29 he said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it might impart grace to the hearer. There was a clip that um, some of my old secondary school mates and in fact, university, everybody was spreading it yesterday. A Nigerian chap who was very furious, I was recording something about what he saw in his view, American churches were doing in the US and he was trying to castigate uh, churches in his own country, Nigeria, that they weren't doing the same. And he said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I'm not happy. And he started cursing and cursing and cursing. He cursed everybody, the big names that you know among our mentors back in Nigeria. He cursed all of them, and then at the end, he said, in Jesus' name. I said, ah, this man. <laughs> I said, this man is confused. I text one of my friends. I said, this man is heavily confused. He said, let no corrupt word proceed out of it. And this is what you see on social media now. People insult anybody because it's free space. People write anything about anybody. People look at people that they should, they should be afraid 
to even say anything to, even if those people are wrong, believe me, they should be afraid to open their mouth and talk to those people. Instead, they should go and pray and say, Lord, help this our, our father, help this our mentor, and just leave them to God. Because there are certain people that if you talk about them, even though they are in wrong, God will deal with you first before he looks at what those people are doing for talking against them. So we, we, does that mean we condone evil and don't confront what is wrong? That's not what I'm talking about. But this flippant and arrogant way of just talking about anybody anyhow must stop. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it might impart grace to the hearers? Think before you say it. Think before you say it. Is this going to impart grace to the person I want to speak to or is it going to bring them into condemnation? Yes, I want to correct them, but is this correction going to impart grace or is it going to pull them down more? I don't want to pull them down further and I want them to stop that evil. So I have to find the wisdom of God in communicating that they stop no, uh, going into further evil, but at the same time, they rise up and they are strong and they do right. Then our actions, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he said, therefore, whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do, keep thinking, this must bring glory to God. As you go, this must bring glory to God. As you walk, this must bring glory to God. As you play, this must bring glory to God. When you are talking with your spouse, this must bring glory to God. Everything that will not bring glory to God, we must walk against because those are the elements of the flesh that we have to deal with. We must always remember that our thoughts determine our words. Our words determine our actions. Our actions determine our habits, and our habits ultimately form our character. If you want to see your character change, start with your thoughts. Start with the way you think. You have to think like God is thinking about you, because he doesn't think like us. Don't see yourself the way you are. Don't say, ah, but brother Dave, I'm just weak. I'm, I'm, I'm a weak Christian. When I, when I see this sin, I can't resist it. That's not you. That is the lie the devil has sold you. You need to start thinking. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am, I am wise. I will not be a fool. I will not disregard the instructions of God. So whatever the Bible, whatever the word of God now tells you to do to avoid falling into that trap, then you do. As you follow what God is saying, you find yourself being delivered. You find yourself being strengthened. He said, don't gather yourself with evil communication because it will corrupt your good morals. Don't keep doing it. Don't say, ah, he's, my, he's been my friend. Ah, Jagu, he's been my friend for 20 years. I can't do without Jagu. Jagu, if God said don't go to Jagu anymore, you have to stop going to Jagu because Jagu is not in line with your destiny. You don't hate Jagu, but Jagu is used by the enemy to pull you down. So stop going there. It's very simple. Stop going there. You want to see a change of character? Start with your thoughts. As you think well, you will speak well. As you speak well, you will act well. As you act well, you have good habits. As you have good habits, your character will definitely be solid. The work of purity or holiness must be intentional. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in the heart for they shall see God. You want to see God? Pursue peace with all men. And then the holiness of God. Pursue it. There you see God. There you keep your heart clean. The devil is doing everything he can to pollute our heart in these days. People will wrong you. People will hate you. People will speak. The Bible says pray for those who despitefully, despitefully use you. 
Why? Because there is a tendency for impurity to set in your heart if you don't pray. When you pray for somebody, you release them. You cannot pray for somebody and remain in malice with them. It's impossible. If you pray consistently five days, Lord, I pray for this, my brother. I pray for this, my sister. You see, the more you pray for that person, the more malice and anger dies. Bitterness just vanishes. But if you are thinking every day, ah, what they said to me, ooh, I, I wish, I wish. <laughs> then you, are, you have not yet died to self. Keep yourself pure because the pure in heart will always see God. You want that relationship where you are hearing God one-on-one and he's telling you this is the way to go, this is how not to go, stay away from this place, especially in these kind of evil times. Don't touch that thing, move away from here. Every kind of thing like that we need now by the Holy Spirit. But it will come, fluidity of it will come with a pure heart because we will be seeing God in that way. I pray that God will help us to experience him. Purity is a walk. It's a lifestyle. Righteousness is a status. We are righteous, no doubt. But to be pure and to be holy takes an intentional walk. In Genesis 17, God said to Abraham, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. This is a man God had told, I, will, I have a covenant with you. I will bless you. I will do this in Genesis 12. In Genesis 17, verse 1, he said to him, Walk holy, walk before me, be perfect. And everything changed for Abraham from there. Let us understand purity is not a task, it's a lifestyle that is meant to give us restful increase. When you free yourself from all the baggages people are carrying about, don't have anybody, as I am, by the grace of God, to the glory of God. I don't have any one person in my heart that I'm saying that ah, this person, I wish I can do like this to them. I don't have it. And I could have if I want to have. I can have a long list <laughs> if I want to have. But I've learned a long time that if I need God, I must not allow such a thing. Keep your heart clean. Keep your heart clean. The things that is trapping people in this end time will not catch up with you. You and I will dance before our Lord one day. We will celebrate. It's just a matter of time. We will get there. Let's hold the fort. God has not lowered his standard. He has not changed anything. And I know that by the special grace and mercies of God, we will make it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We are grateful for the privilege to hear your word again today. We know that you have spoken to us. You have charged us to be holy as you are holy. We pray that as we go on in this service, praying and breaking bread, that, Lord, you will minister to us. Help us, O oh God, and cause your name to be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to pray with anybody who is listening to me and is not born again and would like to give their lives to Christ. We pray this prayer together, and then we will break bread. If you pray the prayer, look for my name on the list of attendees. Or if you are online, if you are online by um, uh, just watching by uh, Facebook Live, please just make sure that you send me a message. Put a message on there and just put your name and let us get to know you. And God will bless you because I will reach you with some resources that can help you. But this is where it all starts. To be the righteousness of God in Christ means that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so please pray with me, everybody. Lord Jesus, I come to you today to make you my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. 
and cleanse me from unrighteousness. From today I'm born again, I'm set free, and I'm made whole. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. As you pray that prayer, God will do a new thing in your life. In Jesus' name.